Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Mini episode 259 of Real Life Ghost Stories and I have a collection of stories for you today that were emailed in by Christine on January the 21st 2023. However Christine put a call out on Facebook and gathered a load of stories from first responders and put them all into a compilation and sent them over to me. So thank you so much to Christine and everybody who submitted stories for this little compilation episode. I'm so grateful and people love first responder stories. So let's get into it. First responders love to share stories. We unwind by talking and sharing the absurd things we experience and mocking the darkness we deal with regularly. Dark humour becomes a survival skill and a coping mechanism. But some nights we aren't sharing our funny and ludicrous stories. Sometimes we talk about the things that we couldn't explain. Almost every first responder has heard either a ghost story from a co-worker or experienced something themselves. Does repeated exposure to death and crisis make someone more open to the supernatural or is it simply a matter of statistics? After all, If you keep crossing paths with death, doesn't that increase the odds of seeing something you were never meant to see? I once had a supervisor who had a reputation for being a tough guy with a big heart. He told us a story that raised the hair on the back of my neck one day that I will never forget. In 1981, he was an EMT for a volunteer fire department in a New Hampshire farming community. In this town lived an elderly brother and sister along with an elderly cousin on a sprawling farm. They were very well liked by the townsfolk and they would offer a plot of their farmland to anyone for the asking with one simple rule. No matter what they grew, they had to donate one third of their yield to area food banks. This was just one of the reasons they were so beloved. As they got older, Mary, the sister, became frail with osteoporosis and was admitted to a nursing home. John, her brother, was left to look after the farm. One day, the cousin who lived nearby was unable to reach John by phone and became concerned. He went to the farm and entered the house. He discovered John in an upstairs bedroom, unconscious from suffering a stroke. He immediately called 911. Word of trouble at the farm spread quickly and soon the siren was blaring notifying volunteers in the town. The town's police and basic life support ambulance raced to the farm. An ambulance from an adjoining community was also dispatched. My boss was one of the EMTs and was familiar with this family. 
When he arrived, he said he walked into the house and was told to hurry as CPR was underway. As he entered the front hall, on his left was a sitting room, and in the room he noticed an elderly woman sitting in a rocking chair, smiling back at him. He thought how happy and peaceful she looked, and that was a bit odd given what was going on. He then recognised her. It was Mary. They got John to the ambulance and transported him to the hospital, where he was pronounced dead on arrival. As my boss was filling out his report at the nurse's station, he made a comment to one of the staff about how sad it was that Mary was well enough to go home and then have John die like that. The staff member gave him a strange look and asked what he was talking about. My boss said how great Mary looked at the house. He was then informed that Mary passed away the day before at the nursing home and could not possibly have been at the farm. Thinking he mistook someone else for Mary, he asked around about who the female was at the house. There were no females there during the call, as all the responders were male. He then described what she was wearing, including an oversized set of pearls and a pink-flowered dress to the staff. The dress was Mary's favourite. He had no doubt that the pleasant elderly woman who gave him a warm smile was indeed Mary. Two days later, my boss and his then-girlfriend decided to attend the wake for John and Mary, double wake and funeral, as Mary was the girlfriend's grade school teacher. As my boss walked into the funeral home, he gazed over the coffin holding Mary and nearly fainted, for there was Mary wearing her favourite pink flowered dress and the oversized pearl necklace, exactly as she wore two days earlier at the farm. I am going to stop after every story in this in this collection of stories because it just makes more sense because all the stories are going to be so different. It seems, first of all, that these people were just good people at heart, you know, giving up their land to farm and saying, oh, we're happy to give you this land, but you, you need to give a third of your crop yield to food banks. It's pretty amazing. And of course, when you are in that moment where you have a medical emergency and people are doing CPR, everybody is running into the house. There's different teams of paramedics different teams of emergency services that are arriving you would take a minute to be like okay there's Mary hi Mary you know but you you're not going to stop and talk to her you've got a job to do and I wonder if you know Mary and her brother were so incredibly close that she came back to get him to collect him as if that sounded very ominous didn't it she came back to get him but I mean she came to collect him when it was his time Working as a 911 operator dispatcher, this was my scariest call, and it came from more than one caller. Callers reported seeing a young girl, approximately seven to eight years old, running around the neighborhood. Soon after my first officer got into the area, he said, I've got her running over by the greenhouses at Wyatt's. I acknowledged, but was thinking, who the hell lets their kids run around this late? We started checking our list of known vulnerable children in the area, thinking maybe someone had escaped from their home. He keys up again and says, She took off on me. Later in this report, he added, I was surprised by what I saw. The person appeared to be a small child, running rather erect and too quickly for a small child. Other units, including our canine officer and his partner, responded and checked the area but could find no one. The original officer asked for a drone team. 
They checked outbuildings, backyards, pools and found nothing. They finally had to call everyone off. My officer was dumbfounded. He goes back to his camera and sees nothing. He came back to dispatch and says, I swear to God, I saw her, I swear it. I'm totally freaked out and I tell him, yeah, I believe you did. Two other callers saw her too. So you might think that's the end of the story, but oh no, it is not. Because the incident was caught on multiple people's door, doorbell, camera footage. The link to be able to watch those videos is in the description of this episode. And I'm also going to post a still image of what was captured on those uh, doorbell cameras on Instagram, on Facebook and on Patreon. Now, listen, this video shows something. And perspective wise, it is definitely not like an insect or some sort of camera blur. It is a something that is running down the street. Kind of looks to me like a creature, like a cryptid, like a like some sort of grey alien vibes. Whatever it is, I believe that officer when they were like, no, I've de- I definitely saw something. I saw her. Like it was the size of a child, but it was running too upright and stiff. That was a that was something. And that something does not look human. I feel for that responding officer. They must have been like, oh, thank God. Thank God somebody else saw it. Because you'd feel like you were going mad if you thought, no, I definitely saw something. But it's not on my camera and I don't know why it wouldn't be. Whatever that thing is, it's... Well, I'm When I post the video on... Instagram and or the picture on Instagram and the other stuff on Facebook whatever let me know what you think it is now just to say the original link that the storyteller gave didn't work in my region so I couldn't access it but I found a video on YouTube of a load of newsreaders I think discussing the same videos so you have to kind of skip forward a bit to get to the actual video because there's a lot of talking in between. But they do they do show a full screen version of the videos that were were taken of whatever this entity is. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. I was a patrol deputy in a small Texas panhandle town in the 1990s. One winter night after a good solid snowfall, I was down the alley behind the business district checking for open doors when I saw a woman at the far end of the alley, about a block away, standing in the middle of that alley looking in my direction. She was a white female with long dark hair, wearing a long black evening dress but no coat, 
gloves or anything like that. It was after midnight, achingly cold, so I called out, Miss, are you okay? She looked at me, then turned and stepped into what I knew was a recessed area behind one of the stores. So I got back into the cruiser and drove down there, expecting to find the dock door open and the kids of the owners hanging out. The dock doors weren't open, none of the doors were open, and the only thing in that little recessed area was a black cat sitting on the gas meter. As I grabbed the flashlight and started looking around, figuring I was about to find an intoxicated girl passed out in a snowdrift, the cat hopped off the meter, rubbed against my leg and wandered off down the alley. Then I realised that not only was there not anyone passed out in the snow, but my footprints were the only ones in the fresh snow. And when I say my tracks were the only ones in the snow, the cat didn't leave prints either. I wasn't new to the tracking game. I'd tracked children across dry gravel and sand before that. I got back into the cruiser and hightailed it back to the office, told the dispatcher about it and she said, Oh, her. She's been showing up for about 20 years or so. No one has a clue who she is. Did you see the cat too? I hadn't said anything about the cat. This is one of the best stories I've ever heard. I, you guys know I'm a cat person. You know, I'm also a dog person. I love all animals, but I particularly love cats. If I can metamorphosis into a cat, my life would be made. You know what? If people said to, if, if some sort of entity came to me now and said, we can turn you into superhero, I'd be like, no, don't, don't bother. I don't want superpowers. Just let me be able to turn into a cat and I'd be happy. So let's rewind on this a little bit. So, so we've got this white woman, long dark hair, long black dress that has been seen for the last 20 years. She disappears into this dead end in an alleyway and then there's a cat in her place. She leaves no tracks. The cat leaves no tracks. Like... Is this some sort of witch's familiar type of vibe? Or was this cat just so loyal to their owner in life that she remains with them at death? But the implication is surely, surely the implication is that the woman and the cat are somehow one. That the woman turns into the cat and the cat turns into the woman. I would just like to say that I did not know that that was a ghost option. And if whatever controls the afterlife is listening I I would like that as my ghost option please again another story though where somebody must feel incredible incredibly validated to come home and be like or to come back to the office or the dispatch and be like something really weird just happened to me um and of course he wouldn't mention the cat because he'd be like can I really say professionally that I feel like this woman turned into a cat or there was a cat there. Can I really say that? And then to hear, oh, you saw the woman. Did you see the cat too? You must be like, I mean, terrifying, but also, thank goodness. As a deputy sheriff, I was working in a rural town approximately 20 minutes from the main city in my county. At about 1.30am, I was dispatched to a traffic accident in a canal. I arrived on scene to find an overturned vehicle in an empty canal. Other units arrived soon after. No driver or passengers in sight. At first we figured the driver left the scene after the accident. But after getting a closer look, the canal floor was muddy and there were no foot impressions leaving the vehicle. We lit up the canal and split up, each taking a side, 
and started walking down the canal to see if anyone had been ejected. We were about to give up when I stopped and looked over to the officer on the opposite side of the canal. I asked if maybe the body was under the car. My flashlight was angled down into the canal and caught the bottom of two shoe soles with the body of a man covered in mud. I wouldn't have seen him if it weren't for his clean shoes. Being a sheriff coroner, after the initial investigation was complete, I set out to notify his next of kin. I found an old address for the man at about 3.30am and I found a cluster of trailers at the address. None of the trailers had address numbers. I walked around looking for address numbers or maybe a car that I could run to get an idea of what trailer he may have lived in. I found a car with paper plates next to the trailer. I went to the side and attempted to run the vehicle identification number when I heard. I've been waiting for you. Startled, I turned around and shined my light onto the torch. An elderly Hispanic woman was sitting in a rocking chair in the total darkness of the porch. I'm sorry, I'm looking for... I started to say. She replied without emotion. I know. My son died about two hours ago. I confirmed her son's name and asked if there was anyone with him. She said, No, he was alone. He went to a party and had too much to drink. I asked how she knew he had passed, and she responded, At one thirty, he came to me while I was sleeping to say goodbye and that he was sorry. He told me a young cop found him and would be visiting me soon, so I got up and sat on the porch to wait for you. I told her that I was sorry for her loss and left. I mean, if you're a long-time listener of Real Life Ghost Stories, or even if you're a, a listener who dips in and out, a casual listener... You will know we get these stories all the time of people who come to tell their loved ones that they've passed away or appear in dreams or loved ones figure out that, that their loved one has passed away because of a feeling or something that has happened when they shouldn't have known. These stories happen all the time. I just have to say that the uh, creepy vibes this old lady has given off, immaculate, incredible. Obviously, in that moment when she got out of the bed and sat on the porch, she wouldn't have been thinking about turning the light on on the porch or anything like that. She would have just been thinking, oh, my son is dead. This is horrendous. And I'm going to sit and wait for this police officer to come and tell me that he's dead. There, I, I doubt there would have been any other thoughts that would have gone through her mind. But for that police officer to, <laughs> to then turn around and be like, this woman shrouded in darkness being like, I've been waiting for you. Incredible. I've seen a lot of things in my career, things that would make a citizen doubt my sanity. From being dispatched to chase a UFO, to responding to calls of ghosts. But the most unusual thing that happened to me was witnessed by several officers and a dispatcher. One evening I brought in a guy for domestic violence, and as he was a bit rowdy I was joined in booking by the sergeant and another patrolman. I'm in the process of booking Mr. Tough Guy when I glanced into cell number one. There was a guy in there, short haircut, glasses and a white t-shirt just staring at us. I ignored him because I didn't want him to start banging on the window demanding a phone call or something. So I finished the booking process and escort Mr. Tough Guy into his cell, walking past cell number one. The guy in the cell just stood there, never saying a word or moving. We all then leave booking and go about our business. 
Sometime later, Sergeant asked me to check the paperwork for the prisoners to see if any were ready to transport to the county jail. I grab the paperwork and go into the booking to do a head count. Cell number one is empty. I panic and tell the sergeant who also panics and he and I begin to make phone calls to the detectives to see if they had moved the guy or had released him. They all say they didn't go into booking at all. I then checked the computer and paperwork again and the headcount was accurate. No one had been placed in cell one. We go to the dispatch office to check the surveillance video for booking. We rewind the footage to where I can be seen booking my prisoner. We fast forward to the point in the video where we all walk out. As soon as we walk past the door, the guy in number one blinks out of existence. We were all freaked out by the occurrence, believe you and me, when we tried to transfer the video to a DVD and USB drive, the guy in the cell did not disappear. We still hear and see stuff every now and then and prisoners in the detox tank can be seen talking to someone in the direction of cell number one even though it appears empty. To this day, I am wary of going into the booking alone. I always think these stories of things that happen in a workplace where somebody's seemingly going about their day-to-day business completely normally, like in this instance, booking somebody in and then you catch a glimpse of somebody out the corner of your eye or you see somebody and you're like, oh, okay, I'll deal with that later. That person is, as far as you're concerned, a, 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 full, a full-bodied person, you know? There is no part of you that in that moment thinks that person is a ghost or isn't it weird that I've just seen that man? You think that is part of your day-to-day routine and then afterwards... It's like that man that was in there wasn't really in there and he wasn't only witnessed by you. He was witnessed by other people too. And he was caught on camera for fuck's sake. I think also police stations and like cells and stuff. I mean, that just shows how naive I am. But they are probably like we've talked about before with other places, very emotionally charged places. People go in there when they've done something wrong or in their mind they've done nothing wrong or they are just after having some sort of violent outburst or they're intoxicated there's lots of reasons why somebody might end up there but there's also a lot of emotion that goes on in a building like that so maybe maybe that's part of the reason why things might linger and hang around one of the most unusual and discomforting aspects of working third shift the night shift from 10pm to 6am, is the ghost that lives in our dispatch centre. Not every dispatcher has seen it, but enough of us catch glimpses of it on a regular basis that it has become almost an accepted and expected thing. On the old closed-circuit camera system, it appeared as a misty dark shadow, the height of an average adult male and would appear at the bottom of the staircase, cross the basement lobby and dart down a darkened hallway. In person, it appears like a dark blur and is largely seen only out of the corner of your eye, yet follows the same route. No one has taken the time to document exactly what time and which days the shape is seen, but it always seems to happen more frequently when there is a new trainee working or when we talk about it. The new digital camera system no longer shows the dark mist, but instead tends to flicker or show distortion around the same time the shadow would have been seen on the screen in the past. I wonder if whatever it is that's haunting the dispatch centre is, you know, something that feeds off energy and new energy 
And you know, when you start a new job and you're full of vigor and you're like, yeah, I'm going to do this and I'm going to be the best of this job ever. But you're also a bundle of nervous energy all the time. Like maybe whatever this is feeds off that energy. And when you talk about it, you give it more energy, kind of like a, what do you call those things? Like a tulpa. The fact that you can see it on the screen, on the old closed circuit camera system and the new digital camera system obviously shows like a blur or a flicker or a distortion is very the grudge vibes and I'm not sure if I'm down with that. I was dispatched to a welfare check a little before 3am to a property we had had lots of complaints on recently. The house had been abandoned for a number of years but some relatives of the deceased owner had moved in and they weren't there to fix the place up. If anything it was getting worse. The property was full of junk cars and tarped piles of trash. When the house had been sitting empty, it was one of my regular spots to check because even though it was out in the county and in a very rural area, local kids had started going there to drink and graffiti the place. There were lots of satanic symbols spray painted on the walls and I'd found candle circles and such there before these new people moved in. The dispatcher told me a mother was concerned about her daughter and that she had started dating a new guy who was pretty creepy and into cult stuff. She'd gotten a phone call from her daughter who'd been crying and babbling about how someone was going to kill her. Luckily, the mother had the address her daughter had given her a few days previously. When I arrived at the property, everything was dark. I got out my flashlight and checked inside, listening hard for any signs someone was in trouble or a fight might have been going on. It was absolutely silent. No one came to the door when I pounded. There was no sound from inside the house. All of the windows were covered with dark blankets, so I couldn't see in anywhere. The outside had new graffiti, though. There were more pentagrams and some horned figures painted in red on the front and sides of the house. Weird shit. I unsnapped my holster because the whole situation was making me feel jumpy. I circled the house and the property, shining my light to find a path and check for any movement. As I came back around to the front of the property... I thought I saw something moving near the junk school bus the new people had parked in the weeds. The thing was badly painted black and had trash bags up over most of the windows. I headed over that way feeling prickly about it. Then I heard some scuffling inside so I announced myself. Sheriff's Department, can you step out so we can speak with you? I was the only one there and my backup was nowhere close but I wasn't going to let them know that. The scuffling stopped and then started again. I walked closer to the bus, repeating myself more loudly. Shining my flashlight at the bus, I walked up towards the doors and noticed that they looked like they were duct taped shut. I put my flashlight up against the glass trying to get a good look inside. And a huge hairy black head rushed at me, banging curved horns against the glass. The goat inside the bus screamed, I screamed and I damn near shot the thing. I backed away fast, got back to my squad car and left. Luckily the mom called back and said she had made contact with her daughter elsewhere because she was on her own with the devil goat. Goats are famously tricky creatures. They love a scrap. They're very scrappy. You know, they don't take no shit from anybody and we've all seen the witch. Philip loves to live deliciously and don't we all love to live deliciously? It definitely was a devil goat. But how, like, uncool are those people who had a goat duct-taped into a school bus? And just to uh, reiterate to 
people out there, the Church of Satan, as I as I understand it, is actually pretty chill. It's a lot about em- empathy and logic and stewardship. So um, all of these sort of satanic symbols that you that you see spray painted here, there and everywhere. It's generally just Hollywoodized versions of what people think Satanism is. And it, it's more often than not, it's just teenagers trying to be edgy and cool, being in a new place, drinking whatever else they're doing and spray painting pentagrams on shit. Although that being said, if I'm out in the middle of the country and it's like a, a big old crumbling house and there is pentagrams and horned entities spray painted all over the walls and a big black goat, you best be sh- you best be sure I'm getting out of there pretty quickly. One of the creepiest things I experienced as an EMT was when we responded to a possible DAS at the home of an elderly lady. I didn't know her well, but I knew of her since we live in a small town. Her next-door neighbor had noticed she had missed taking out her trash can and that her newspapers hadn't been picked up for a few days. When she went over to check on her, She could see her slippers on the kitchen floor and a little bit of her leg. She called 911 and PD arrived on the scene just before we did. The concerned neighbour told us where the lady hid her spare key and so we located it and went in. It was obvious she was deceased as soon as we got inside. She was cold and lividity had started to set in. We were standing around waiting for the coroner to arrive when we heard something upstairs. It sounded like soft footsteps walking around. The officer glanced at my partner and I, and then he headed to the staircase to see who else could be in the house. We all knew the lady lived alone, but she hadn't cleared the house yet. My partner and I stayed in the kitchen with the body, listening to the sort of shuffling steps upstairs and then the heavier thuds of the officer's boots as he walked from room to room. He came back down, looking a little pale, but announced there was no one else in the house or upstairs. We all stood, quiet and uneasy as we waited for the coroner. When he walked in, the shuffling footsteps started back up again. The officer turned around without saying anything and went back upstairs, walking through the rooms more quickly the second time. He arrived back in the kitchen as the coroner brought in a body bag and just shook his head. Her bedroom's right above us, was all he said. We helped load her up and a single ping came from the piano in the living room as we did so. None of us went back in to investigate. I've heard other stories from other scenes that are so similar. It makes me think that maybe some people just don't know they're dead yet. I have to say I agree with that last sentence. What a sentence to finish on. Maybe some people just don't know that they're gone. And maybe her spirit, her soul, whatever it is that you want to call it, Maybe that just took one last wander around the house before it was time for her to go. I mean, it's not particularly pleasant for all of the emergency technicians who are who are there to, you know, sort out the body and bring the body away, etc. To be listening to her doing her last shuffle around the house and her last play on the piano. But maybe she just needed one more lap before she could leave this plane. What an episode. Thank you so much to Christine for sending in those stories. And thank you so much to everyone who contributed. They didn't give their names, but just to say a massive thank you to everybody for contributing. I actually considered saving these stories up for a main episode, but I thought, you know what? These are listener stories. They're great listener stories. So they need to be included in a listener episode. 
Thank you so much again for taking the time to send them in and thank you so much for listening. If you would like to submit your story, you can do so by emailing it to reallifeghoststoriespodcast at gmail.com. You can also check out the website reallifeghoststoriespodcast.com and if you are desperate for some extra content, you can sign up to Patreon. That is patreon.com forward slash stories, where for $5 a month or $2 a month, you get access to heaps of extra content as well as every single main and mini episode completely ad-free. And on that note, I shall see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.